Hi friends, this is Rhonda Stoppy with Old Ladies Know Stuff for what I am sure is going to be a controversial episode. Today we are going to talk about an article that I wrote and it's called How to Know What the Bible Really Says About Abortion. Dun, dun, dun. Here we go. You might not want to listen to this with your children around or they may have some questions. Let's jump into this. While abortion is not specifically mentioned in scripture, we can glean insights from God's response toward a culture who regularly practiced the killing of babies. The Lord was particularly intolerant of the act among those of his own people. After Israel had experienced God's magnificent grace, they turned to worship the gods of other nations. 2 Kings 17, 17 through 18 gives insights into Israel's practice of child sacrifice. This is Israel. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practiced witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel. End quote. Even though the prophets of God had warned Israel not to adopt the wicked religious practice of the heathen nations in their rebellion, they did exactly that. But why? What on earth were God's people thinking? God had shown himself mighty on Israel's behalf when he brought them out of Egyptian captivity. How could they forget the God of their fathers? What made these false gods of other nations so appealing that they could be persuaded to believe that burning their babies on an altar would bring them some sort of prosperity and peace? It makes me just gasp thinking about it. What the Bible does not say about abortion. As with any sin, a believer just doesn't wake up one day and say, hey, how about we do this thing that the heathens are doing and burn our babies on the altar too. Satan knows Christians are not likely to just jump into idolatry if they're genuinely worshiping God. So Satan begins to undermine true worship by tempting you and me to replace it with the captivity of activity or even religious rituals, because religion leads to rebellion if it is not grounded in love for Christ. And in a state of rebellion, Christians can see see things like abortion in shades of gray rather than black and white. Another one of Satan's tricks is to seduce Christians to find their worth in a relationship with a person. Attempting to find value from another person is a form of idolatry, Because God created you and me to find our worth in his great love for us. When we become sexually active outside of the marriage bed, it makes you and me vulnerable to Satan's schemes. So believers end up justifying their sinful acts. Think of David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11. Abortion is not a political issue. It's a matter of the heart. Ending abortion among Christians will not happen through politics, but through prayer, and equipping them with the truth one person at a time. You can read more about my experience in an article that I wrote for Focus on the Family called Confessions of a Teen Abortion Accomplice, where I talk about being in high school and actually helping a friend of mine go and have an abortion. I regret that deeply. When the Israelites were delivered from slavery in Egypt, they joyfully worshipped God, singing in heartfelt
heartfelt gratitude in Exodus 15, 2 through 3, quote, The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. In this state of worship, Israel wasn't likely to follow after false gods. However, as time went by and life got hard, God didn't seem near and Israel forgot the Lord and became seduced by false religious practices. The same thing can happen to us today. It's easy to celebrate God's amazing kindness when one surrenders to Christ, but if you don't regularly meet with God through Bible study, worship, prayer, and fellowship with other believers, it's easy to look at what the world is doing and long for the same, quote, blessings that they seem to be receiving. So beware. Even the psalmist was tempted to long for what the heathen had. In Psalm 73, he said, But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, end quote. In ancient times, the practice of baby sacrifice was put in place to persuade demonic gods to bless them with prosperity. For example, Ruth, the Moabite, grew up in a pagan land. An article on Ruth from uh, Moments with the Book explains that the priests of Moab were powerful and cruel, and they served an assortment of gods. But the most feared god of all was Shemosh. Shemosh lap was so constructed, makes me cry to even say this, that little children could be placed on its red-hot surface so that they would not roll down and inclined on a plane into his fiery belly. Let's give hope to the lost. Imagine how Ruth must have been intrigued to learn from her mother-in-law, Naomi, of Israel's kind, forgiving, and loving God. The book of Ruth shows how God orchestrated the steps of this heathen woman to learn of his love for her to make her his own. Sadly, Ruth 1.15 reveals how when times got hard, Orpah, Ruth's sister-in-law, turned back to her gods who promised prosperity through child sacrifice. But Ruth, Ruth clung to Naomi and to Naomi's God. She said in Ruth 1, 16 through 17, Entreat me not to leave you or tune back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. End quote. Let's learn from Naomi's example. She could have shouted condemning words at Orpah as she turned back to Shemash. Would that have changed Orpah's mind? Maybe. But instead, Naomi's love for both her daughters-in-law overshadowed her relationship with them. And because of Naomi's love for God and a zeal to return to her homeland, where he alone was worshipped, Ruth caught hold of Naomi's fervor and longed to follow her toward the God who promised redemption. In the same way, we must realize that countless women today are growing up under the false belief that abortion promises prosperity. Shouting obscenities at these women, whether in person or on social media, is not going to change their minds. In their darkness, they may think that abortion is their only option because they're too poor to support a child or that having a baby will interrupt their education or their career goals. The God of this world has blinded 
their eyes. See 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Without Christ, they cannot see past the enemy's lies. Abortion, a modern choice for a modern age. Liz was 15 years old when she fell in love with Lee, a popular boy at school, and she couldn't believe it when Lee invited her to prom. Even though her single mom was apprehensive about allowing Liz to attend the dance with Lee, she gave her permission because she knew how devastated Liz would be if she said no. Prom was all Liz had hoped that it would be. Her dress, her makeup, it was amazing. The limousine that Lee rented was exquisite. Liz thought everything about that night was perfect until their ride home, when things turned not so perfect. After the dance, Liz was delighted when Lee asked the driver to drive around. While he and Liz enjoyed the ride in the nice limousine, Lee began to pressure her for sex. Liz said, I'm not ready to have sex. But Lee responded, I wanted this night to be perfect. I spent all of this money so that your first time would be memorable. As Lee continued coaxing Liz, she eventually gave in and they had sex. Afterward, Liz felt regret. Last summer, she had attended a youth camp where the speaker had taught the value of remaining sexually pure for marriage. She had promised herself she was going to wait, but then there was Lee. She thought, if I would have told Lee no, he wouldn't like me anymore. She reasoned, there's a lot of girls who would happily sleep with Lee, and giving myself to him will make Lee only want me more. Liz was lost in thought until the limousine pulled up to her house. After she got out of her car, Lee kissed her on the cheek and he said goodnight. Before she even got to the front door, the limo drove away. When her mom met her at the door, Liz shared all the details of the night, except for the part about them having sex. For now, that would be her and Lee's little secret, or so she thought. On Monday, Liz realized that Lee hadn't kept their little secret. Rather, he had told all of his friends about their encounter. Liz felt ashamed and betrayed, and when she confronted Lee about his indiscretion, he responded harshly and he gave her the cold shoulder. The coldness lasted for months. Although Liz was deeply wounded by Lee's cavalier attitude, she finally decided to do her best to just forget about the whole night. She thought she was going to be all right until she realized that she was pregnant. Liz's mom responded with unexpected compassion when Liz told her about the pregnancy. After the two cried together, Liz's mom explained her only option was to schedule her for an abortion. Liz trusted her mother and was ready for the whole thing to be put behind her, so eliminating the pregnancy seemed to be the best decision. But she did have some questions, so Liz got online to do a little research. She learned that the legalization of abortion in America occurred in the 1970s while her mother was an adolescent. Liz also stumbled across sites showing evidence that the life of a baby begins at conception. They suggested that abortion was more than just eliminating unwanted tissue. Rather, it was ending the life of an unborn child, Liz's child. The ultrasound videos compelled Liz to reconsider having an abortion. When Liz asked her mom's opinion, she was shocked by how angry her mother became. She scolded Liz for reading, quote, pro-life propaganda and insisted abortion was not murder. She went on to explain, we are no longer in the dark ages. Women have power over their own bodies, and they're the ones who get to choose whether or not they're ready to carry a child in their womb. And believe me, Liz, you are not ready to be a mother. Liz thought, mom used the word child a word that would haunt her private thoughts as the date of the abortion approached. 
Late at night, Liz pondered, is this tissue or is this a child? And if it is a child, how can I possibly end its life? Since Liz didn't want anyone else to know about the pregnancy, she decided to trust her mom's advice. But after the abortion, she couldn't help but wonder if she had made a horrible mistake. She thought, I've heard that God hates abortion. Does God hate me? Will he hate me? Will he forgive me? Liz's story is a fictional one, but maybe you can relate to it. It's a tale that is far too often played out in the lives of young women across this country and across the world. If you're pro-life, it may be easy for you to grow angry toward a woman who would consider aborting a child. Instead, let's realize that there are countless women out there looking for answers about abortion. Maybe you're one of them. What should you do now? Let me say that again. What should you do now? Preaching how God hates abortion has its place because he calls us to speak his truth in our generation and to defend the, the weak, but it must be done in love and in gentleness. God's most interested in drawing lost sinners to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Rather than growing angry toward their ignorance, what if you ask God to give you his compassion for them? What if you ask God to help you share the hope of forgiveness to even one person burdened with shame? What if you prayed fervently for God to save them? The purpose of God's commands are to show people their sin so that they realize that they need a savior. What if having an abortion was the breaking point for a woman who otherwise would have believed that she was, quote, a good person? What if her shame over her sin is what God can use to lead her to repentance? Will you be the one to show her the way of salvation? Now, as in ancient times, the heathen will do what the heathen will do. God does hate abortion, but he loves people and is compassionate toward those who are held in sin's bondage. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And that is what he calls us to do as well. From this old lady who knows stuff, let me tell you, this is a controversial topic. And I was even a little bit not wanting to put this podcast episode out there because I know it can trigger strong feelings. But let me tell you, I'm here. God loves you. God adores you. And he sent his son to prove his great love for you. And if you're stuck because you had an abortion at one point in time, oh, God is so ready to take your sins as far as east is from the west, to wash them away. He says he won't remember them anymore. If you are dead in your trespasses and sins, he makes you live, alive unto Christ. If you're a believer and you got caught up in a deception and had an abortion or you're considering having an abortion, know this, that God is the God of second chances. And just like when David and Bathsheba had sex, conceived a child, and hid their sin for a year. When David and Bathsheba finally repented, God forgave them, and he even proved how much his forgiveness overshadowed their sin by giving Bathsheba the next king of Israel when she conceived Solomon. Because when God forgives, he forgives to the utmost. I pray that this episode won't be a trigger for argument, for condemnation, but I pray that it will move you to compassion. 
I pray that it will equip each of us with a heart that God has for those who are confused, to those who have believed Satan's lie because he is the father of lies. And I pray that we would stop right now and ask God to send us to those who need to know of Christ's love for them so that we too can be a light that shines in this generation. Thanks so much for listening. Join with me in praying for God's will and his word to go forth wherever he would have this episode be. In Jesus' name. Thanks again, because old ladies know stuff.